to the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 271 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marquis, PT, and today we're going to be talking about the conservative treatment of the osteoarthritic shoulder. We'll be going over the joints that are involved in shoulder osteoarthritis, the clinical presentation of shoulder osteoarthritis, and we're going to talk about some conservative treatment tips and so much more. But if you don't mind holding for a moment, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by MedBridge. Harnessing the power of technology to help you advance your career and improve patient outcomes, MedBridge delivers over 2,000 evidence-based CE courses and more than 7,000 specialized patient exercises available whenever you need them from wherever you are. MedBridge goes beyond CEUs. They're leading the space. From interactive webinars led by top industry leaders to the first-ever HEP patient mobile app, MedBridge has taken learning to the next level for over 200,000 PTs, OTs, ATs, SLPs, and nurses, and those they serve. For a limited time, use promo code OEP to receive $175 off your annual subscription. Welcome back, everyone. So it's always hard to decide what to do when patients have shoulder arthritis because shoulder osteoarthritis always comes with a lot of baggage. Oftentimes, bicep tendon issues, you know, partial tears, tendinopathy, tendinitis, rotator cuff pathology, labral tearing, crepitus in the shoulder, sometimes neck pain. Usually, if you have arthritis in the shoulder, there's some element of cervical spine arthritis also. Um, what I tell all of my shoulder patients is that many people have shoulder arthritis and that arthritis is not always the source of pain. And they find some encouragement in that. They often, you know, get this default diagnosis of you have shoulder arthritis and, you know, you kind of hear this softly in the background, so live with it. You know, uh, I get that a lot. That's quite discouraging for patients. And they always feel very frustrated when they come in and they say, well, they just said I have arthritis. They said I have arthritis. It's always arthritis, arthritis, arthritis. And so what our job as, as PTs, OTs, mid-level providers is that we need to educate them about what that is. Um, so that's what I do next is I take a little bit of time and I talk about what arthritis is. I talk about, you know, the surrounding structures around the shoulder. And what happens if they don't get better? Uh, you know, where do we go from there? Lastly, I, I'll tell them that I can't really change that arth arthritic joint surface, but I may be able to change the surrounding structures, you know, in that area. Okay, so capsular mobility, uh, muscle weakness, flexibility, those types of things, bringing perfusion, bring blood flow to the shoulder, which is very important. Um, and so I'll also educate them about activities they should avoid, you know, repetitive overhead or cross-body activities, things that cause more impingement or more irritation to that glenohumeral or AC joint. Um, you know, and then I'll talk to them about the importance of strengthening the surrounding musculature and then the importance of a home exercise program so they can kind of maintain what they've gained in therapy. Um, you know, it'd be easy for me to just throw out a bunch of exercises for you today so that you can just take that back to the office and, uh, you know, say, here you go to your patients, do these exercises, and everything will be okay. But that's really not how I run. I really want you to be thinking about why you are giving these exercises um, and, you know, why a, a certain modification should be made. So I want you to be thinking about this shoulder first um, and understanding it 
before you give these exercises, okay? So I just want to talk about some pointers that I think you need to remember. Shoulder osteoarthritis number one can look like adhesive capsulitis, but it's not, okay? So a couple things we look at with adhesive capsulitis is that, you know, patients will have limited active range of motion in pretty much all positions and limited passive range of motion in the same positions, okay? So you may gain just a little bit of motion, but not a significant amount, okay? Both indicators of OA and adhesive capsulitis. The big difference is the, the big crepitus that you might get with the arthritic shoulder. And I've had experience, and please <clears throat> learn here from my mistakes. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had a patient one time, he came in with a diagnosis of adhesive capsulitis. He was about 70 years old, and um, we treated him probably two visits, and obviously these are uncomfortable. And he had limited range of motion, both actively and passively in all positions. Um, so we started with a little moist heat in that shoulder and then did some passive stretching, and he was quite uncomfortable, And he, you know, but there was a little bit of crepitus associated with it, which is not uncommon. We all have shoulder crepitus, or most of us do. Um, and so after two minutes, after two days of, you know, gentle progressive stretching, very light isometric exercise, he'd come back saying, you know, I'm significantly worse. Um, and typically with, you know, adhesive capsulitis, there's some relief, there's some improved range of motion, there's, there's some progression, um, but he was regressing. So one thing we had found out is that he never had an x-ray. So we sent him in for an x-ray and he had severe shoulder arthritis. He needed a, a, you know, total shoulder replacement right away. And as soon as he had that done, had significant relief. And he was one of those patients who we probably should not have stretched or, or pushed. So, um, you know, getting that x-ray ahead of time, especially if the patient is a little on the older side, is important to identify that arthritis. The other thing you need to remember, there are two joints that are involved with shoulder arthritis. Um, mostly the glenohumeral joint is what we think of the most, but we also need to remember that the AC joint also becomes arthritic. It's one of the first joints in the body to become arthritic, and you'll often see that little spur on the top of the shoulder. Well, remember, that spur also occurs underneath the AC joint where that rotator cuff is going back and forth. So it basically chafes it like a rope on a rock uh, and over time can break that down. So you need to remember that if they have an osteoarthritic shoulder, they probably have some degenerative uh, rotator cuff issues also because of this, you know, this physical irritation to the rotator cuff. Consider what the AC joint um, has done to the cuff, and that will help to drive your evaluation. The age of the patient can make a, a big difference here also when you're treating the osteoarthritic shoulder. You want to avoid really heavy loads. I mean, if they're osteoporotic, um, maybe they have a degenerative cuff, a uh, biceps that is bothering them. They you know, probably have some fraying of the labrum. So you want to hold off on the really heavy loading uh, activities and, you know, also, the last thing I want to mention about, you know, pointers to remember is that having crepitus in the shoulder doesn't mean you have to stop exercising. Now, if it is painful crepitus, that is a different story. And if it's a heavy clunking at an early range of motion, you probably need to avoid uh, working through that. OK, so let's get to the meat and taters here. I know that moist heat is not always indicated. And if you look at the research, it says that soft tissue modalities are really of no benefit. And insurance doesn't pay for it, but I really don't care, okay? If a patient comes in, and I've seen this through experience, and I put moist heat on their shoulder for 
10, 12, 15 minutes just to kind of get them warmed up, settled in a little bit. They typically will do better with the passive stretching and the range of motion type activities that we're going to do with them. These folks are going to tell you, you know, if you if you don't do heat one day and you just bypass it and get right into the exercise, they'll tell you the next time, you know what, I really didn't feel as, as good getting going with my exercises without the heat. And um, it doesn't mean that you have to do it with them every time, but it's a great way to get people started. Um, and we know that that heat isn't going to improve the capsular mobility significantly, but what it does is it relaxes the patient and they're not resisting you as much when they're, when you're stretching them. Um, and I find significant amount of benefit from it. Uh, if the patient comes in a couple minutes early, I might start them with that and, um, you know, get them going. I then will jump into some passive hands-on stretching, and this is important. I think that doing it hands-on first, just like you would with cervical traction before putting them in mechanical traction, um, really gives you a feel for their shoulder. You can you can feel what the restriction is like. You can see what their end range is like. I also work in the plane of the scapula as much as possible, especially if I'm doing internal external rotation stretching. Maybe I'm flexing them. I'll take them up in the plane of the scapula passively. And I do that low load, long duration stretch in many directions. I also like to add a little glenohumeral traction um, to, to that shoulder when I'm doing the passive stretching so that we're just taking those two crummy you know, joint surfaces away from each other and uh, getting that stretch. And I like to do that. I find a lot of benefit from that. And they like just that little mobilization and traction feeling. Most all of my shoulder patients say, ah, that feels good when you pull on my arm and give a little axial stretch. Um, and, you know, when you're stretching these patients, you, you know, tell them you're, you're going to have a little discomfort. It might be a two to a four on a pain scale. Out of 10, that is fine, okay? And from there, you want to teach them how to self-stretch because you want them to maintain what you gain in, in the therapy clinic. Um, and lear learn what works for them. Okay, some people may not be able to go into certain motions and others may. And, uh, you know, that is fine. You can't just use a boilerplate program here for everybody. And uh, so you have to individualize these exercises. If you can gain five degrees uh, of range of motion, that can make a huge difference for somebody, especially during their activities of daily living. So, you know, even the smallest of gains can be very beneficial. And it can be very frustrating with shoulder, you know, arthritis because they're, they can be so painful and so restricted and oftentimes require surgery. But I have seen many people who have not and they've been able to get along without having to have the surgery and have been able to take care of themselves. From the passive stretching program, uh, I'll then work into some isometrics. I usually find that comfortable range. It might be variable angle isometrics. I like to try to keep them in that plane of the scapula. So I will start with internal external rotation, some flexion, some abduction. I don't do a ton of extension to the shoulder, although I do add it with four position isotonics with uh, you know TheraBand. But Think about these strong muscle groups. I've ne really never had a problem or never had a patient who had a problem with extension, bringing their arm to extension. Um, those delts, lats, and, and teres major all really help to pull that arm in that position. They're all very mechanically advantageous, we should say. From there... I jump into some PREs and I will modify their ranges. So if I'm doing like a four position isotonic program, I will use their band and limit that range of motion. It doesn't mean we need to get them up to 90 degrees. If we can get them from zero to 30 degrees, they're not having a lot of pain, but they're getting some muscle contraction. Hey, icing on the cake. That is great. 
From there, we'll get into, uh, you know, some pendulums just to help relax the shoulder. Maybe some overhead pulleys where they get a little traction while they're getting flexion. Um, Again, I might modify their position. If they are uh, an adhesive capsulitis, I might push through all kinds of positions. Whereas an arthritic shoulder, if they have some spurring in certain areas, we might avoid those positions. Okay, so we're not getting this physical uh, spur on spur type of pain. Don't forget kyphosis reduction exercises. Um, simply activating the scapula and retracting them, trying to engage the lower trapezius muscles will help with shoulder elevation and deflection and abduction. Okay. Um, we, we know that's super important. I might also have patients do some standing or seated scapular retraction with like a seated row, either with a machine or with TheraBand. Uh, they'll do quite well with that to help just with that posture. Um, we can never do enough postural strengthening exercises, really, to be honest with you. You can also do like some slight weight-bearing stretching exercises. So like if the patient can get into quadruped uh, and having the hands on the table and just going into that kind of that prayer stretch position where the arm goes up in deflection, or you can even do it seated on the side of a table and do like a, a table slide or a table reach just to try to gain some of that flexion, abduction, or even external rotation. One of my absolute favorite exercises, though, if a patient can get into this position, is brachiating. So grabbing on to either um, some handles from some TRX straps that are overhead or maybe even a pull-up bar. Uh, we, use a, we typically use a pull-up bar in our clinic where I put the patient up on a step stool. They step up on that. They reach for the bar. And then they just gently bend the knees and stretch the shoulder up into flexion. Uh, I do that gently. The patient is you know totally in control because it's all coming from their legs. They're getting some traction and they're just getting some opening of that chest. The scapula is dropping a little bit and, and um, I find a lot of benefit from this. Uh, I also like to precede exercises with upper body ergometry. We do a lot of that uh, in our clinic. It helps to get the shoulder warmed up. Improves capsular mobility. You know, you're improving the, the synovial fluid buildup in the joint. And it generally keeps the patient in a comfortable range of motion. They're not over flexing. They're not over externally rotating or abducting or extending. Keeps them in that neutral range. So not only do they get a little cardiovascular benefit from this, but that glenohumeral joint is, is moving smoothly. And um, my arthritic patients do really well with that. And then lastly, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of things you can do. But if a patient likes being in the pool, you know, a series of pool exercises can be very beneficial because you get that resistance in all ranges um, and a little bit of, you know, turbulence from the water can be very beneficial and helpful. They don't necessarily need to get those arms way overhead or across their body if they don't want to. Um, they can get resistance in any position that is comfortable for them. So folks, that is our um, our podcast for today. I hope you enjoyed the show and uh, you know try these exercises out. Give them a twirl and they won't all fit everybody's program, but um, they are some ideas on why you should do what you do with your patient who has arthritis. So again, hope you enjoyed today's show and um, be kind to each other and take care. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there. 